You know, every time uh, I open this and read it and study it, it it's, it's like it's new every time. Um, I learn something new. God reveals something new. The Holy Spirit shows me something. And part of me thinks, that wasn't there before. Like someone added that in here. And it, it's just, it just, it gets new and vibrant every time. I've been, been doing uh, this church stuff for a long time and reading my Bible for decades. And still, when I open it and ask God to speak to me through it, he is so faithful and he continues to do that. Um, and and it's, it's no different in, with today's passage in, in Acts 23. Uh, and I'm excited to open up with you because I know that God is faithful for those with ears that are open and a heart and a mind that is expectant to speak uh, and to reveal to us uh, great truths and mysteries of him, his heart, and his kingdom. And so with that said, I invite you to turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 23. We're going to start at the end of 22 a little bit and get into 23. But let me just set it up with this. Where we are in Acts 23 is about A.D. 59. Nero has come to power as, as, as the emperor of Rome in A.D. 54, and he will reign through A.D. 68. So he's in power, and about... Five years after he rises to power, is, is, is put in place, we come to Acts 23. And in a couple years, somewhere between 60 to 62 AD, Paul will, be, will experience his final arrest and be taken to Rome. And somewhere around 64 to 68 AD, he will be beheaded in Rome by Nero. And so... We don't know exactly how long, but from this point on in Acts 23, he's got somewhere between five to nine years left on this earth. Now, he doesn't know when that day's coming, but he knows it's coming. He's, he's not exactly sure when, when he will move from his earthly home to his heavenly home, but he knows that it's probably going to be a short time. And, and I want you to keep that in mind. As we go through, certainly today in Acts 23 and the rest of Acts, we, we look at what, what going, what's going on in Paul's life. And we see his arrest. We see his imprisonment. We know that he's headed towards martyrdom. And what we see is this is the result of faithfulness. This is the result of someone who, who is walking consistently with his God. This is the result of someone who has heard the call of God on his life and has said, yes, Lord. And all this stuff seems to be conspiring against him. We, we would think that when a, a, a person is robbed of their freedom, robbed of their liberty, in, in, incarcerated unjustly, abused, we would think something's wrong. Either God hasn't has taken his hand. Either God has, has leveled something against him or he's guilty. Something like, what's wrong? Well, we look at Paul and we think there's nothing wrong. This is the result of faithfulness. Now, if you understand that, that messes with their theology a little bit. It certainly messes with mine. Because we, we, we grow up 
in this environment that says, and, and, and I understand scripture says, God be for me, who can be against me? And we think that means that all our enemies on earth are going to be dispersed and destroyed. And we think as long as I'm walking faithful with God, everything's going to go well. And if it doesn't, certainly God's going to step in and intervene and make sure it does. But what we see in Paul's life, he's, he has walked with God. He's been so faithful, sacrificial. And there are times when God has showed up in miraculous ways, and there's other times from here on out where it will, if you're not careful, it will feel and seem and read as though God is no more. I want you to keep that in mind. Because every one of us are going to go through times just like this. Maybe not this severe, but certainly times when God leaves us in the middle of stuff and doesn't deliver us from it. And we end up feeling like, Lord, what are you doing? Where have you gone? You forgot about me. Right? So in Acts 23, Paul is, is, is before an angry mob of, of Jewish, lead, Jewish religious leaders because they think that he has desecrated the temple. Rome was in charge governmentally, and only Rome had the power uh, to take someone's life, capital punishment, although they allowed Jews, the Jewish leaders, capital punishment for one reason, if someone desecrates their temple. Uh, and so this angry mob thinks Paul has done, they think he's invited this non-Jew into the temple courts, which is worthy of death. And so he's beyond this, before this angry mob, and they want to kill him. And the Roman officials are watching what's going on, and they're not exactly sure what the crime has been, and they don't want to riot, and they see this is where this is headed. And so Rome intervenes to save Paul's life and, and arrest him so these angry mob of Jewish religious leaders can't get their hands on him. And Paul takes this opportunity to tell those in his hearing about Jesus, about him following Jesus. And so before we get to Acts 23, I want to just go back to Acts 22 just a little bit and remind us of, of what Paul is saying here. Paul is talking to him, and he says, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, he's telling his story before his huddle, okay? When I was, when I was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave, there's God talking to him, leave Jerusalem immediately, because the people there will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, you don't understand what's going on. Have you ever done that to God? Lord, you, your plans need some correction. That's what Paul does. There are people, or these people, uh, know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and to beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And then the Lord said, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The first thing I want us to understand is that, is that Paul is in worship seeking God, and that's when God chooses to speak. Please understand this. God speaks when his people 
are in worship and seeking him. Paul is at church in prayer and worship. And God speaks. That's a lesson. God speaks to us when we're in worship and seeking him. And so even in this moment, I want to invite you to this place of worship where you elevate God and elevate his word and give it authority in your life and say, Lord, speak to me. I want to hear from you. When you're in that position, God will speak. Do you understand? Do you understand? And so God tells him in verse 18, go to Jerusalem and, and, and like a good church person, like me and you in verse 19 and 20, he, he, Paul tries to convince God that Paul's got a better plan. How many of you have never done that? We all have, right? God. Like, he, he, and what Paul says is, what he says is, he says, God, I have history with these people. They, I was one of them. They're going to relate to me. Just let me do my thing. Like, I know you have your perspective. I have my perspective. And as far as I can tell right now in my life, my perspective is better. It's exactly what Paul's doing. He says, God, I know you have plans, but right now I just want to stay here and do my thing. And in verse 21, God says, no, go. I have plans for you that you've forgotten about. In Acts 9.15, God told Paul that he would take him far away from Jerusalem and from his people to others, to Gentiles. See, here's, here's what I know. There are times, aren't there, when we get so wrapped up in our plans that we forget about God's plans. We get so wrapped up and my plan and my agenda and my vision for me and what I want that we completely forget about God's. And it's exactly what Paul did. I wonder how many times God's given us direction and rather than being obedient, we've talked to him about his direction he's given. From this point on in Paul's life, Paul will be in Roman custody and this is the end of his life as a free man. Here's what I want you to understand. Paul has as great a witness in his freedom as he has in his bondage. Converse of that is true. God, Paul has as much as great a witness in his bondage as he had in his freedom. So, so, so here, pay attention to this. God does not need our freedom or liberation in order to fulfill his mission. Do you understand that? God does not need our freedom or liberation in order to fulfill his mission. If that's true, it begs this question. Are you okay if God allows your loss of freedom to further his kingdom? Are you okay with that? Careful. Careful. Because when we're in those incarcerations in life, when, when, when the freedom has been taken away. 
when we've been chained by health, by finances, by opportunity? Are we okay with that? If the, if the loss of all those things further his kingdom. See, th- this, this in part flies in the face of American Christianity. Because we believe that as Americans, that we got a right. And we've truncated the gospel for the Constitution. And we believe we have a God-ordained right to life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. And anything that infringes upon my rights as a red-blooded American to life, liberty, and happiness is an affront to God who gave us the Constitution. And sometimes God says, no, 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 no. My mission is not contingent upon your freedom and liberation. And sometimes those things will be sacrificed so my things can be exalted. You okay with that? Look at verse 30. The commander sees what's going on here. And he he wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews. So the next day, he released him. And he referred the chief, uh, uh, and he ordered the chief priests and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. We'll talk about that in just a minute, what's going on here. And then he he brought Paul and had him stand before all of them. So the Roman commander kind of sees what's going down here. And he just wants to get to the bottom of, 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 of why these people are so angry at Paul and, and Paul's defense. And so he brings Paul and all the chief priests of the Jews and this group of 70 highest religious leaders. It's called the Sanhedrin. And just so you know, the Sanhedrin, the 70 religious leaders, was comprised of primarily two great religious parties, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I won't get into a whole bunch, but just understand this. The Pharisees believed in angels and demons and heaven and, 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 and miracles and resurrection. The Sadducees, they were the liberal arm of the religious uh, group, and they didn't believe in any of that supernatural stuff. So they were really at odds with each other. But how many of you know the enemy of my enemy is my friend? And so they're, though they're at odds with each other, they're really at odds with Paul. And so, so now they're, they're in this real tense. And so the commander brings Paul and the high priest and the Sanhedrin and even the, the, the Roman uh, government officials together and has them all in this place. And this is exactly what God said would happen with Paul, but he just forgot it. You go back to Acts 9, verses 15 and 16. And this is God talking to Ananias, who will heal Paul of his blindness. And, and, and God tells Ananias what, Paul, what he's going to do with Paul. So go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Imagine that being God's call on your life. I love you. And now I'm going to show you how much you're going to suffer for my name. Still want to follow him? So Paul knew this was coming. God had told him, and there he is. 
before the Gentiles, before the Roman leaders, before the commanders, and before the Jews. God had revealed his plan to Paul just days after his conversion. And Paul knew in general terms what it was going to be like, but he didn't know the details, and he didn't know the details of how it would work out, just like us. Like when we look at, the, at Scripture, we know God's heart. We know his character. We know his faithfulness. But we don't know the details of how our lives are going to go, right? There's a lot of unknown. There's more unknown than known. And, and what I'm, when I'm learning about this and what I want us to learn together is that we have to trust God in the midst of the unknown details. Some of you are in a season of life right now where everything is unknown and you're completely unsure about the future. You've got to trust God in the midst of that. God leads us into the dark nights. He leads us into the deep waters. He leads us into the cavernous cave. He leads us through the valley of the shadow of death where everything is unknown and nothing is seen. And you just kind of grope your way through darkness. And in those moments, you've got to learn to trust him in the midst of the unknown details. Right? So now we get to Acts 23. Paul looks straight at the Sanhedrin, those 70 leaders. And he said, my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. Paul used to be a part of this very group. He used to be a part of the Sanhedrin. He was one of the 70 religious leaders. And now he has an opportunity to proclaim Jesus to those he formerly was associated with. This religious group was part of his was past. And now he is new. Do you know how much courage it takes to go back to your past and proclaim Jesus? Like these guys know We know who you were, Paul. We know what you were like. We know how you persecuted this thing you're trying to tell us. We, you know how much courage it takes to go back to your was days to tell those was people about your new life in Christ? You're freaking courageous, man. Paul, once he decided To follow Jesus, there was no turning back. Though none go with him, there was no turning back. The the cross before him, the world behind him, there was no turning back. He never let off the pedal. Why? Because of what he told us in Romans 12, 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And so he just pushes the pedal down. And I'll go back to the people of my was with a straight back and a big, to tell them about who Christ is amazing. And and what happens is they get in such an uproar about Paul that Paul does something masterful. And he realizes that his life is in danger. And so he looks at this group. And and, and again, just a little bit of background. Paul's so tricky. He's got these two groups, the the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And Paul talks about the resurrection. See, before, as he's, as he's given this impassioned speech, he, he says one word that turns them on their heads. 
And Paul says in this speech to, the, to all these people, he talks about God saving the Gentiles, just like the Jews. And the moment he says the word Gentiles, they lose their ever-loving mind. Because here's what he's saying. He's not saying that God will save Gentiles if Gentiles become Jews. That's not what he's saying. He's saying God will save Jews if they believe just like Gentiles. And at that, God has ele- or Paul has elevated Gentiles and lessened Jews so that they're even before the cross. And the Jewish people lose their minds because they think that God is just for them. And Gentiles are just created to stoke the fires of hell. And now they're saying, wait, 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 wait. They get what we get the same way? Uh, and they, and they're, they're ready to, to tear Paul apart. And so Paul, in that moment, makes a masterful statement. And he talks about the resurrection. Because he knows the Pharisees believe in it and the Sadducees don't. And in that moment, they turn on each other. Now they start fighting with each other. And Paul's like, whew, dodge that bullet. And, and, so, and so the commander's seeing what's going on here. And, and, this thing, and so the dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid that Paul would be torn to, I mean, literally, they're going to tear him apart. And he ordered uh, the troops to go down and take him away by force and, and bring him back to the barracks. And so this fight breaks out and they intervene. And at this point, I just want you to understand what's happened in Paul's life. He's had two opportunities to proclaim Jesus to his own religious people. Paul wants so badly for his people to come to faith. He will say in another part of scripture that I would, if I could, be damned to hell if they could understand salvation, if they could come to faith. Can you imagine? I would give up my salvation. I would be damned to hell if they could get what I have. I'm telling you, I don't know if I love anybody that much. This is how much Paul's heart is breaking for his people. And now he's had two opportunities to preach and proclaim Christ before these people that he would go to hell for. And nothing has come of it. Completely fruitless. Have you ever felt like you failed in God's mission for your life? Have you ever truly wanted to be God if I could? And then you just really, you look in the mirror and you think, that, that one I see in the mirror is not who God. Paul felt discouraged. He was down. He was frustrated. He's like, God, I I don't think I'm able anymore to be used by you. I mean, it just, have you ever felt that way? He's wondering what went wrong. He's wondering why he can't get any traction. He's wondering why nothing works. He's wondering why there's so much pain. There's so much failure. There's so much abuse. He just like it. He, he, he felt as though his usefulness for, for God had come to an end. You been there? And then God. Verse 11. When he's at his lowest, verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. 
As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Then God. When the, in verse 11, it says, when the Lord stood near him, this is a manifestation of Jesus to Paul. Why? Because Jesus promised to always be with his people. Here's what I know, and here's what we've got to remember, because we will be in those moments of darkness and despair and failure. We'll be in those moments when it feels as though, and we've got to remember that Jesus knows where I am. You've got to know that Jesus knows where you are. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, certainly I am with you always to the very end of the age. Listen to me. Look up here and listen to me. Just because you feel lost doesn't mean you are lost to God. Just because you might feel alone doesn't mean you are alone. He knows where you are. He sees you right now. Though you feel as though you're in complete and utter darkness, even the darkness is not dark to God. Even though you feel you are in the bottomless cave and there is no end in sight, you are never lost to God and you are never without his presence. Do you understand that? I am with you to the very end of the age. Time can't even outlast me. Do you know one of God's names is El Roy, the God who sees? He sees you because he loves you. He knows where you are because he cannot take his eyes off you. You are not lost to him. He is not unengaged and he is not distant. Now, Paul had been in jail cells before. And he had been miraculously delivered from them before. And he had heard the stories of what God has done. But this time, what does God choose to do? Leave him in it. See, Jesus is always with us, without a doubt. But here's what we have to understand. Though he is always with us, we plead with God to deliver us from, but often God, uh, times God leaves us in. Do you understand? We plead with God, deliver me from this, get me out of this, rescue me from this. And oftentimes God says, I'm going to leave you in it. And right now I will not deliver you from it. Am I able to? Absolutely. Am I going to? No. Do you want to know why God leaves you in it rather than deliver you from it? Fine, I won't tell you. Let's go on. <laughs> Thank you, Billy. All of you, close your eyes and plug your ears. I'm going to talk to Billy right now. Billy, the reason why God leaves us in it and doesn't deliver us from it is because he knows your witness for him is going to be greater with you in it than it would be if he delivered you from it. 
That's the truth. He leaves us in it because he knows that our witness for him is often greater while we're left in it rather than delivering us from it. And that's so hard for us to accept because we believe that God exists for my benefit. And so I want to invite him in to make it better. And obviously, better means deliverance. And God says, you need to understand something. This is my story. It's not your story. And this is my kingdom, not yours. And for me to best establish my kingdom, some of you I have to leave you in it, not deliver you from. You okay? And when God comes to us when we're in the middle of it, I want you to understand what he says. It's the same thing he said to Paul. Take courage. And I believe Jesus said that with a big smile on his face. Knowing how down Paul was, I believe he looked at Paul and put a smile on his face, and Jesus was like, take courage. Literally, it means be of good cheer. And God would say the same thing to us. Be of good cheer. I'm with you. See, we, we've got to learn. We've got to learn that Jesus knows what we need to hear from him because he knows what's coming. He knows what we need to hear and when we need to hear it. And in those moments when we need to hear from him, when we seek him, he will speak to us and he'll speak to us what we need to hear. And one of the things we need to hear in those moments of darkness when we're left in it and not delivered from it is be of good cheer. I'm with you. Jesus knew Paul was feeling down and Jesus knew Paul needed encouragement. Let me just give you this one piece of advice from an old man. Seek encouragement from God before you seek it from people. Be like David in Ziklag. The Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord. Seek encouragement from God through his word before you seek encouragement from people. I'm not saying don't seek it from people. I'm saying seek it from God first. Paul needed to hear the voice of Jesus because Paul knew he was in a bad situation, but Paul didn't know how bad it was going to get. Some of you right now are in a tough situation and you know it, but you have no idea how tough it's going to become. Do you understand? And God may just leave you in it. And to those of you that God is leaving in it, and it may get a lot worse. He comes to you in this moment and says, take courage, be of good cheer. How can someone in the midst of those times be of good cheer and have courage? How? Because of what Paul will tell us in Romans 8.20, and we know, we know this, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So even the dark time, even the tough time, even the perilous time, God's going to work it together for good. And so if I know, if I have that perspective, I, I, I can be of good courage for one more day. 
It's interesting. Anybody can be of good cheer when things are going well. But only unstoppable disciples can be of good cheer when things are horrible. When Jesus says, be of good cheer, it's one word in Greek. It's one command in Greek. It's used five times in the New Testament, all five by Jesus. And it's always used of people for in their lives at their absolute lowest. In Matthew 9, 2, it's used of the paralytic before he's healed. Jesus says, be of good cheer. In Matthew 9, 22, it's used of the woman with the issue of, uh, of bleeding. And when she's at her worst, God, Jesus looks at her and says, be of good cheer. In Matthew 14, 27, he says it to the disciples who were scared on the Sea of Galilee, thinking they were going to perish. Jesus says, be of good cheer. In John 16, 33, Jesus tells his disciples on the night that he's, before he's, he's, he's crucified, he tells the scared disciples, be of good cheer. And here in Acts 23, Paul under arrest, Jesus comes and says, be of good cheer. I'm working this together for good because I am with you always. Now, love what Jesus says. He, he looks at him and says, be a good cheer. You've testified about me in Jerusalem. What he's telling to Paul is, Paul, well done. Good job. I know you're looking at it as if nothing has happened. All I asked of you is for you to be faithful. That's all I asked. And you were well done, boy. That's what he's telling him. And you're getting so wrapped up in what you see as the results of it. Let me worry about the results. I just want you to be faithful. And you were. You testified about me in Jerusalem. Well done. Good job. You did it. You were successful. I'm proud of you. And that's what he would say to every one of us. God, you gave me my marching orders. And I'm just trying to be faithful. God looks at you and says, well done. I'm proud of you. You're just being faithful. Good job. Right? And then he says, you must testify to me about me in Rome. You must testify about me in Rome. These, what God is saying here, are the, are the words that every disciple Desires to hear from God. They're the greatest words a disciple can hear from God. Because what he's saying is, I got more for you to do. Good job. Now I got more for you to do. It's the greatest words a disciple can hear. It's the scariest words a lazy Christian can hear. But it's the greatest words a disciple can hear. God, you got more for me to do? See, here's what we have to understand. We got to get this. As long as God has more for you to do, you're unstoppable while you're doing it. Unstoppable. Even against a hell can't stand against you. I love to hear from God. God, you got more for me to do? Right on. Let's go. Because I know when I'm doing what God has called me to do, I am absolutely unstoppable, and the kingdom of God is being established on earth. May your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What greater thing can a disciple hear? Every disciple has to desire in their heart, God, what else, what more would you have me do? 
And every disciple has to hear God's voice say, I have more for you to do. There are more people who need to come into relationship with me. There is more work to be done. There's more generosity to be given. There's more huddle for me to reach. Listen, O disciple of Christ. He says to you right now this morning, there is more for you to do. That should energize your very being. Because what that says is your life has purpose. Don't you check out. You have a great and grand purpose in this world. Don't you check out. Don't you slow down. Don't you get lazy. There is a call and a mandate on your life that is so far beyond anything you can imagine. Not only that, but it says God is telling you right now, I choose you. I want you on my team. To be a forever teammate with God. What an incredible invitation. I don't know what it was like for you in in the old school elementary days when people picked teams and your value was based on how quickly you were chosen. And as it whittled down through the kid with glasses and the, 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 the girl who was good at math and, you know, you're just like, what? God's first choice is you to be on his team. See, our problem is that while God would say to us, I have more for you to do. We've so mixed it up that we look at God and we tell God, God, I have more for you to do. And we get real whiny and real sensitive and very emotional. But God... I've been asking you to do this for a long time. But Jesus, I've been faithful. And I have tried. Like you don't even pay attention to me anymore. Right? And God says, you're getting backwards. I love you. I will, but you don't understand. I have more for you to do. Because I love you and I've chosen you. And there's purpose to you. And I've invited you into my team. Now let's get busy with it. Yeah. There is more to do. Listen, I'm going to wrap up in just a minute. We got to understand the antidote to fear is perspective. It's not courage. The antidote to fear is perspective. And when we have the perspective that God is with me even to the end of the age, that he has called me and purposed my life to be teammates with him, that he has more for me to do and I am unstoppable as I do it. When I have that perspective, fear cannot exist. You understand? Unstoppable. And so, friends, I invite you into this incredible love of God who chooses you first, who has more for you to do, to this unstoppable faith.
and don't deny it anymore. Step in. You've got more to do. Understand? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us, that you've proven your love for us time and time and time again. I thank you for the times when you've delivered us out of. I praise you, God, because you are our great deliverer, and there are many times when you have delivered us from. We don't even recognize and realize all the things you've delivered us from. And so I thank you to give you praise. But Father, because I know your heart and all your actions are motivated by your love, I have to thank you for the times you've left us here. Because I know you have great purpose, not just for us, but for your kingdom by leaving us in. Father, for those of us this morning who are left in and not yet delivered from, would you give us courage and perspective to be powerful witnesses and testimonies for you while we're in it. And may you be glorified by it. We trust you even when we cannot see the details. I pray in this moment, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to those who want to hear the words, I have more for you to do. By the name of Jesus, respond to us, call us. Speak to us those words, I have more for you to do. Remind us that you have invited us into your team. You've invited us, you've chosen us to be yours. There is more for us to do. And empower us and encourage us and invigorate us to do all that you have called us to. Thank you that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you that you've chosen to be ours. Help us choose to be yours. In your name, Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. Listen, I remember back in the day when I got to do a lot of youth ministry. I remember being in camp. My friend Alan is here and he, you worked with me for a lot of years as a junior high guy with us at church. You, you know exactly what I'm going to talk about in just a minute. My buddy Kevin's right here. Kevin, you and I met each other in seventh grade at Divisionero High School. And you accepted Christ our senior year in high school with Rick McDonald, who's in heaven right now. I remember back in our days. And I remember doing ministry back then. And I remember that the younger people back then were so much more ready to be expressive and so much more fearless to make commitments and stand for Christ. And it seems as though, you guys can attest with this, you've been, that as people get older, we get more sedentary. And everything stays internal. And here's the problem with that. When, when we come... In the, in the encounter with God. And we have those moments and, and we keep that here and we walk out and get in our car and we drive home and we start to question, I don't know, man, I wonder. Maybe it wasn't that big a deal. Kevin, I remember when you accepted Jesus at, at school at Mount Whitney. I, I, I remember the hallway we were on with the lockers by the side. 
next to the science wing, the science class. And you came walking up. And I wasn't with you when you were with Rick. But you came walking up to me. And you told me, Carl, I just accepted Jesus. I love the fact, Kevin, that you didn't keep that quiet. And that relationship has changed. I mean, think about your life now. You'd be dead in hell had that not happened. You would. And God, you, you let God step, and then you told people about it, and look at your beautiful bride and all these kids and grandkids you have who are headed for heaven now. So here's the thing. I don't want to make any of you, obviously, but I want to give you the opportunity. I'm going to invite my friends, Scott and Brenda. You're over here somewhere. They're going to stand right over there. And, and David and John, they're going to stand right over there. And all I'm going to give you the opportunity what my friend Kevin did. If there's, some, if there's something in this moment where you want someone to pray with you, to celebrate with you, maybe you're like, well, I am, he's leaving me in it and I don't like it and if someone would just pray with me that I'd be faithful through it. Maybe it's you who felt the call of God like my friend Alan did and he told me, he said, Carl, I gotta serve. I gotta be in ministry. God's called me to that. And if you know that God has told you there's more for you to do and, and you just want to like have someone pray over you in that moment, these people will be here. Just during the song, after the service. Like, let's just solidify this spiritually together. I'll be around. I know John and Laura right up here too. They're more than happy to. So they're going to be standing. If you want to, take advantage of it, man. And just drive the stake in the ground. Listen, I love you, and it's good for us to be together. Let's sing and make amends to God.